0: Welcome, everybody, to a Baseball America podcast, along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel, coming to you from the the Baseball America podcast nook. The Baseball America podcast, this episode, is brought to you by the National Baseball Hall of Fame Almanac, which Baseball America produced in conjunction with the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. It's the next best thing to touring the Baseball Hall of Fame in person. You'll find profiles of every player, manager, umpire, and executive in the Hall of Fame, including the newest inductees like uh, Barry Larkin getting inducted this weekend, Career statistics, vitals, and achievements for all players. The book is filled with hundreds of photos, including full-page photos of every player. The Almanac is an official publication of the Hall of Fame, produced in conjunction with Baseball America, and you can buy it at BaseballAmerica.com store or by calling 800-845-2726. And fun publication to have worked on, JJ, especially because for you and me it would just write some bios, and we'd have to do a whole lot more beyond that. So kudos to Sarah Hyatt McDaniel and well, Lingo for uh, doing the yeoman's work of producing that book. But yet another publication on the Baseball America family of publications uh, kind of joining the podcast in our family of products. And uh, we haven't done a, pro- a podcast in a while, J.J., the two of us. The two of us, yeah. Uh, Jim and I did the uh, the draft deadline, uh, signing deadline podcast, which was a fun one to Jim do. Jim has
1: been doing a lot, of that. because Jim did that with you, and then Jim and I did in person together at the, right. after the Futures game. With my little uh, pen mic, we uh, did a uh, That was supposed to be
0: the big secret of that podcast with the pen mic. It sounded fine to me. You know? it, it came out pretty well. Heck, it actually probably sounded better than some of our podcasts. We, we were just sitting here patting our seven-year-old equalizer on the back and saying, good little machine, please keep working. <laughs> so we have a new computer for the podcast, but not, new, um, not a new equalizer yet. So uh, patience to everybody. A mixer. So, you know, the, play, thank yeah. you, a mixer. Um, but this podcast, we we're going to take some of your questions, obviously, uh, update with the trade deadline. But JJ, we just thought we'd start off with uh, you know the, the two guys who are the story in baseball, and you, you know at, at the All Star game when you had guys comparing, you know guys like George Brett and Al Kaline, comparing Mike Trout and Bryce Harper to the the maze and mantle of their day. First of all, who's the Duke Snyder? has got to be all these things have to come in threes, don't they? Is that going to be Jerks and Profar? <laughs> Maybe, Maybe if you road, move to center to the center field. Yeah, I was gonna say. To I mean, Elvis Andrews is a pretty good, cheap shortstop. Maybe that's where Jurickson Profar winds up. Not because he can't play shortstop, but or second, the Texas Rangers. Or why would you get He's rid of him?
1: Second, short, and third all this year in games in and they don't.
0: A. They don't really have a center fielder. that They want to be their center fielder every day. They want Josh Hamilton to be on a corner. Um, I never thought about that before now, but hey, why not? Um, but uh, who do you like? Who do you got the, the first half? The fact that. Mike Trout has been better this, to this point. Have you, with Mike Trout in the long term, Trout versus Harper Olympics, or do you still have Bryce Harper? I believe you and I both had Harper coming we into the year. both had Harper.
1: I'm still going to go Harper, and I, I will acknowledge right now, we'll be debating this for probably the next 20 years. This will be, be on now.
0: several other future podcasts yeah. in the year our, 2000. Our kids may be
1: debating this on a podcast. In, uh,
0: That's possible if your girls get into baseball. Yeah, got, got a little <laughs> ways to go
1: on that right now. But, uh, but. The thing I do want to point out, though, is is Mike Trout is having just an amazing year. I mean, like, Bryce Harper's having a solid year. Bryce Harper, though, if you said who is the NL Rookie of the Year right now, I don't think you you could argue Bryce Harper, but I don't think he's really the best case right now. In the AL, it's not only Mike Trout. Mike Trout is the Rookie of the Year, barring... I don't know what would have to happen. Yeah, might point. be the
0: MVP right now. But
1: I was going to say, but you may say that he's the MVP, and I think there's a pretty strong case that he is. How crazy is it? I did hear this on on, on some show on XM that I, I can't remember which show it was because I want to give it credit. I'm not. It's not an original idea of my part. But how crazy is it, Albert Pujols right now? You could legitimately argue is the third most important guy in that lineup.
0: Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Although since Trout got there, Pujols' numbers are insane. They're right.
1: Well, I shouldn't say insane. They're, they're Pujolsian right. is what they are. But they um, may not still be Trombonian.
0: They're not Trombonian. Mark Trumbo is a whole other subject. That's actually a, a good one to tackle in, a, in the podcast. But I'm still uh, – first of all, who's the National League Rookie of the Year if it's not Bryce Harper for you? Who he has the better a
1: better case? Wade Miley's got a pretty good case.
0: Yeah, I'm not looking at that being sustained. For the rest I'm saying, of year. but
1: if you if you're saying for right now, um, Todd Frazier has had better numbers this year. He is pretty important to the Reds. He's going to be even more important now because he's the regular. their first, first baseman. He's right. their first baseman until Votto comes back. But I think especially you give a you give Harper an edge on the fact that he plays center field on a pretty regular basis. But with with Frazier, you got to give him credit for the fact that pretty much wherever the Reds have had a need. One thing that did work out for the Reds, the Reds have never let Todd Frazier settle down a position. Right. What that did mean is, is, oh, you need a left fielder? Okay, well, he's your left fielder right now. Scott Rowland's on the DL? Hey, he's your third baseman. Now Joey Votto? Okay, he can right. be your first baseman. I,
0: I'll, I'll give you a while. I'm not going to give you, even though he's been better. He has better rate stats. But Frazier just hasn't played as much as Harper No, has and that's,
1: that is the – but I think those guys are – hundred more
0: plate appearances for Harper.
1: But I mean, that's a lot. That is a lot. But I think that those guys – well, especially, again – Frazier's going to end up being, you know, but 100 less because Harper's going to play every day too. They're not going to be any Steven Strasburg shutting Harper down to keep right. his at-bats down <laughs> right. or anything. Right. But, um, but that being said, I, I still think that, you know, if you look at it, you, I think those guys at least, and I, I'm probably forgetting someone off the top of my head right now too.
0: No, I think you got them. Those are the main guys. I think Wade Miley has had the best half season, but I don't see Wade Miley sustaining that all year. I don't believe that Trevor Bauer will be entering that mix, having just
1: been uh, sent down uh, by the Diamondbacks. That's obviously a tangent. But let's go on the tangent for a minute, though, because it's been interesting to watch. This is something I keep coming back to: is that when you're talking about a hitter, and we get all the questions all the time, when's this guy coming up? When's this guy coming up? And with a hitter, not that there aren't guys who struggle, but there are a lot of times a guy, you know, a hitter comes up and pretty much he steps in and does it with pitchers. You do see time and time again, just how difficult that jump from AAA to the big leagues is. I think Trevor Bauer has seen that. Not that Trevor Bauer is not going to be a very good long-term big leaguer, right? but he's learned a little bit from this first taste of it. You know what? I can't be as I, I he's been so focused on the strikeout. He, and what he found a, a little bit, I've seen him. I've watched several of those starts trying to see what's going on. in. And what jumped out to me was is that there's a lot of times where he gets two strikes and he thinks he can get a guy to chase. Right. And right. big leaguers, unlike Triple A guys, big leaguers don't chase those pitches.
0: And The bottom line is if you're gonna get if you're gonna be a strikeout pitcher in the major leagues, you got to get swings and misses in the strike zone. Bottom line, you, mm-hmm. the good big league hitters don't chase. And Trevor and Bauer. did the thing
1: about this is even when you get them a good pitch in the zone, a lot of the good hitters is like, yeah, I can't do anything with that. Okay, foul off, Correct. Now, here, let's go again.
0: Correct. It, it's, and that's why movement is such a – it has to be emphasized. I think that, so to me the things for Bauer to work on are, A, he's going to have to throw more strikes. That's That sounds simple, but he, his walk rate in the minor leagues was unsustainable. Uh, second of all, it just comes down to fastball command. He's he's kind of like right now, J.J., he's kind of being like – I know this comparison doesn't sound as good anymore. It's kind of like he's trying to be a hybrid between Tim Lincecum with the delivery and all that – and you, Darvish, with like six pitches. And that's, those are two super unique jokers that you're trying to basically meld. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be this completely unique player. And I'm not saying he can't pull it off because I believe in Trevor Bauer. I believe he'll figure it out. But I'm not sure if he's athletic enough to maintain. Six and pitches. he talks about it. He talks about not being super athletic to maintain that delivery and six pitches and his workload at the big league level. I think a little failure will probably help him. I, I, I'm Again, the mental, the makeup part is one of the reasons why I believe so much in Trevor Bauer. But he's going to have to – first, I think he needs to shed a pitch or two. But more than that, he needs to – the reason you shed a pitch is so you can focus more on that fastball and putting it where you need well, to put it. And I'm convinced that he can do that. He'll never be a premium – he's not going to be Greg Maddux and putting in a teacup. But I'm convinced that he will throw more strikes with the fastball because he realizes now – but he has to. I, I think he has the stuff and the ability to adjust to do that. But and there are some
1: concerns. Is, you can shelve a pitch. If you're Trevor Bauer, you can shelve a pitch for now. And you know what? Two years from now, if yeah. you need to, you can bring it back. Right. But that, And but the other thing with that that I always bring up now, it seems like I've brought it up a couple times. Is Pitching is, that is hard. If Matt Moore struggles right. in his rookie season. Right. Anybody can. Anybody can. Because Matt Moore, you couldn't be more ready. You're but right. That, all this was a side point note. The point I was trying to make, though, is, is that as great as Mike Trout's season is, and it's yeah, great. And
0: more was there with Harper trying to start the year, so but it's a great way to bring it back. But
1: as great as his season is this year, you have to remember the difference is is that Bryce Harper's doing this as a nineteen year old. Mike Trout came up last year as a nineteen year old. Mike Trout hit two twenty, two eighty one, three ninety as a nineteen year old. Right. Bryce Harper no, he's
0: doing it in the junior varsity. Well, that's a one is, caveat. Is, you know, Bryce Harper's in the National League.
1: You know, I'm not sure how hey, much he's doing in the American. You're talking about League. Your, your All-Star. Of this game counts uh, champion. And it wasn't even close. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but but the thing I've just made the point I'm making is is that when we're judging them, I know that you, you are talking about the the difference between a, you know, he's still a rookie. You know, he still could be rookie of the year. But Mike Trout had his taste of the big leagues last year. he right. Took him that first chance to kind of get comfortable in it. Spring training coming in the next year, and he just goes crazy.
0: It's amazing to me to look at Mike Trout and see the black numbers. That's what I was trying to show you is that he leads the American League in OPS+.
1: I no, mean, Harper's having no, a good the only, year. The only thing I can think of is Fred Lynn. That's like the yeah. year is like like this Fred Lynn's rookie year.
0: I was at Sportscaster Camp yesterday, Patrick Keenis' Sportscaster Camp. He's the voice of the Durham Bulls. And uh, Scott Pose, the ex-big leaguer, who I do some work with with the Bulls, he asked me, he was talking about being a player and dealing with the media. And he said, who's the best player in the major leagues right now, John? He just looked at me, and I I didn't even think about it. I just said, Mike Trout. I mean, like, right now, he's the best player in baseball. And he's the most exciting one. He's the most fun one to watch. And that's the treat. I still think... My my point on Harper, I'm surprised by Mike Trout's power, J.J. I'm surprised I, that he's hit 13 home runs.
1: I'm not shocked by that because, again, he is, as we were given descriptions last year, he's Brian Urlacher on a football field, <laughs> right. on a baseball field. That kind of thing, the the frame, the body was there that you just – That's true. It's not that surprising that as he gets older. Like, I it, got questions. I, I thought it would take we'll him a little while chat, to
0: tap, to tap into
1: it. When people are like, what are you saying Mike Trout may have more power than Oscar Tavares? Well, Oscar Tavares has really good power, but – and it's getting better and better. But look at Mike Trout.
0: I mean, there's Mike scat- Trout does it easier. I mean, Oscar Tavares' swing. There's. I mean, it it, is. I'm not going to change it. I wouldn't change it. But there's it's some a effort Pedroia-esque
1: there. swing and a much larger package.
0: Correct. And uh, Mike Trout is so easy. But you know, I've been a little bit surprised at Bryce Harper's quote-unquote only slugging four fifty eight. I thought he would show a little more power. But, I mean, again, I thought I thought anything could happen when this guy came up at 19. I, I thought it wasn't out of the realm of possibility that he was rushed and that he would struggle. But, but I thought that he was just too good of an athlete, too good of a baseball player to to struggle. And he's really kind of been completely different than what we thought he would be. He's not a masher. He's hitting in the two-hole a lot. He's playing center field a lot. This is not what we expected Bryce Harper to be. So the fact that he's still successful while doing all these things that, aren't his real true strengths and that's pretty impressive and I think that just sets him up for true greatness down the line
1: and the other thing again with this is I wrote about this before the year I think I just tweeted about it recently is that yeah eight home runs he has eight home runs right now. that's a lot for a
0: teenager eight home
1: runs for a 19 year old puts him in the top 10 of all time single season for a 19 year old and he's at eight right now by the end of the year He's going to be in the top 5. There's no um, again barring injuries, he's going to be in the top 5 no doubt and he could be in the top 3 right. because take Tony Conigliaro out of it who had the greatest season you know as you're going to see from a 19-year-old pretty much 19-year-olds don't hit for power in the big leagues. Right. And he's hitting for some power. It's not you know he's not yeah, he's 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 having a little few more defensive at bats maybe than he will when he's 21, 22 when you know it's a grizzled vet. You know, But but it is something where he is really
0: grizzled <laughs> at 21.
1: He's a very in, integral part of that lineup right now as a 19-year-old. And, again, I just I can't. Yeah, Al Kaline
0: hit four home runs as a, as a 19-year-old. He hit 27 as a 20-year-old, but he hit four as a 19-year-old. And
1: that's the thing I'm saying. like the, right. At that age, like we saw with Mike Trout, Mike Trout hit five last year, and everyone was pretty impressed. But he had 11, I mean, it was 123 at-bats. He had 11 extra base hits last year and 123 at-bats. He has a lot, you know. He's he's up that percentage a yeah. little bit this year. The imp- impressive
0: thing to me for Trout is after having seen him in the fall league. He was so gassed in the fall league when he, of course, he was on Harper's team. And
1: he uh, will look back. We'll look back on that and go, "Wow, greatest
0: fall league team ever!" I don't care who else was on there, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be it's just unusual to look at uh, them having similar playing time this year and that Trout has more home runs. And then Harper has actually played a little bit more center field. It feels like, as a percentage, anyway. Just weird how that's worked. Although obviously now Trout's pretty much the everyday center fielder. How the Peter Borges is uh, hitting 210 or whatever he's hitting?
1: I'll, I'll stop harping on Harper's age, but the one last thing that I tweeted this out. There's a new uh, post up on the Baseball America Prospects blog. You can look at. Where it has the top 20 youngest players in each league, you know, majors down to Venezuelan and Dominican mm-hmm. summer leagues. And the thing that jumps out is is that Bryce Harper would be. By over a year, he would be – there's no 20-year-olds in the international or PCL. There's no AAA 20-year-olds. Okay, so he's younger than – dramatically younger than anyone in AAA. I
0: think he's five years younger than Dominic Brown, who's in town
1: this week. He's younger than anyone in the Southern League or the Eastern League. Now, he's not younger than anyone in the Texas League, because Jerkson Profar is slightly younger than him. Right, right. And he's younger than anyone in the California League. That's amazing. there's an A-ball league – that Bryce Harper would be the youngest player in. Instead, he's holding his own in the big leagues. That's uh, amazing.
0: That's a a crazy stat about the California League. That's not an indictment of the California League this year, I would say, Um, that there's no player younger than Bryce Harper in that league. It's a Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. We also threw out uh, some Twitter questions, JJ, before we started, and uh, I wanted to go ahead and take a couple of these. One of them was a pretty good one uh, from Raj61. Roger Munter, who I believe is uh, used to send us actual uh, you know, letters to the editor that he typed on a typewriter back in the day. So I think he's a longtime follower. Where are we at now with Gary Brown? From number 38 preseason to not in midseason 50 to pretty epic six-week run. And I'll give you a tease that uh, Andy Baggerly wrote his organization report on uh, Gary Brown this issue. And obviously the Giants just played in uh, the Nationals recently in Washington, sometime in the last couple weeks. And uh, so even Bruce Bochy got a chance to go down and see a game uh, before the trip or after the trip somehow. I went got, went to go see Gary Brown in Richmond. And the org report was all about Fred Stanley, their farm director, and those guys talking about how Gary Brown came to them with his hands uh, in a certain position when he hit. I'm trying to remember the organization report, whether they were too far away or too close. I think they were too close. And they said, if you can hit like that, we'll let you hit until you fail. We think you're going to need to move your hands and get them out away from you, and you're always going to get tied up inside. So he hit like that way last year, and he was he was good, he was good enough in the cow league. No one could get in his kitchen enough that he had the kind of year he had in the cow league. But this year, first half of the Eastern League season, obviously he needed to make an adjustment. So they made the adjustment. They've adjusted where his hands are in his setup. Oh, it's working. And the last six weeks he's really torn it up. So that's why. So if he consistent, let's see him sustain this. This is what you do with all hitters. You watch how pitchers adjust to you, then the hitter has to adjust back. Gary Brown has always had that issue, at J.J. Frankly, his first two years at Cal State Fullerton were a disappointment. He was not the player we thought he'd be when he was coming out of high school. He's like our number 88 player in our high school, in our top 200 overall in the draft in 2007. Ha! Back in the day when we only did top 200. We thought he was a stud out of high school. It took him a couple of years to really get his hit his stride at Fullerton. So maybe he's a little slow in making adjustments, but he does keep showing that he can make the adjustments. What he's done in the, what's he done in the last six weeks?
1: Uh, so in July, so that's a you know, two-week sample size. Two-week sample size: four thirty-eight, four sixty-one, seven twenty-six in the EL. That's
0: that's not bad. Could that, be could be hot sheet worthy.
1: That, so that, that's he's probably going to be on the hot sheet. So that's although, the quick version. Although the thing about it is, is that his week this past week has not you know been a little bit down compared to that. so, but it probably will be on there, yeah.
0: But that's the thumbnail sketch. I mean, of he, it.
1: he went from. He was basically had a sub 300 on base and a sub 250 batting average and a 314 slugging percentage on June 21st. Yeah, a lot we of that scout that
0: feedback up. that we got on that top 50 was like this guy has no did not hit with a fourth outfielder, not enough bat. Right. You know.
1: And that was yeah, that's the and it's been a great stretch here. It's sustainable. It a little bit. Yeah, it's still you still something you want to see him can keep this up and because like again. You can't throw away what he did in the first half of the year. He's still, you know, 292, 334, 410. That's solid.
0: Yeah, it's pretty solid. Especially in the Eastern League, he's probably right around league average. By the end of the year, if he sustains this, you, you can get pretty excited about it because right. the defense and the speed are intact.
1: You, if you don't right. defend
0: and run like he oh, runs, you aren't a fourth again, outfielder.
1: As he said, the, if the you scouts who are, who are not liking him are saying fourth outfielder because you look at him and say, okay, yep. he can defend, he can run. He's going to have value to a big league club, even if he is kind of, even if he does struggle a little bit with the bat. Uh, J.J.,
0: this is a guy that you kind of helped. Uh, I mean, I, I had not remembered him or heard much about this player before our midseason tra- uh, update, and you found a lot of scouts really did like this guy, and he was in consideration for our midseason top 50. I mean, he didn't make our midseason top 50, but we have Shea She City. I'm not sh- Shea City. I guess Shea City. I'll figure out how to She-city. word it. Shea City. <laughs> Took me five tries. And Rich Wilson. That's all
1: right, because yeah, I know if I'd have done it, it would have come out so much better. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I don't right. Pronounce names right. It's
0: Ryan and Rich who sent us two tweets, and I botched the Twitter handles, both asking about Dan Straley. What uh, what does Dan Straley do, and why has he had this breakthrough season in the A's organization?
1: Well, the, the thumbnail sketch version of that is, is that he's in better shape this year. Stuff's gotten better. He just keeps... You know, his his stuff is better stuff than it was a year ago. He can sustain it better. He has better command. You throw all those together, and you're talking about a guy now who I think it's pretty fair to say middle of rotation. Maybe, if everything works right, slightly better than that. But Hmm. if you said solid number three right now, solid number three starter, I I think that's a pretty safe. I mean, again, I'll throw in the addendum we just did. Right. Pitching the big leagues quite hard. Right. And you always have to worry a little bit with guys who have this great pop ups because if we were having this conversation at this time last year, we'd be doing the same thing about Brad Peacock.
0: Right. Who was
1: one of the pop up guys. And Brad Peacock still could. Yeah. But. Brad Peacock has fallen way back down to earth again this year.
0: Uh, that saddens me. I'm a big Brad Peacock guy. The, he, the thing is that Brad Peacock was in the Nationals' top ten right. coming into last year, as opposed to Dan Straley. To, is not Straley in the wasn't place. even in the A's top thirty, and that wasn't a hugely deep organization. Right.
1: So. I, I'd say right now, if we were, you know, if we'd extended it past fifty, Dan Straley would probably have not have been much. You know, he'd have been in the fifty to sixty range. So now,
0: would, would Dan Straley have ranked ahead of uh, Aaron Hicks? Fetch nine. Uh, who has a great Kelly Kapowski um, Twitter uh, avatar, which I appreciate, Asked, what's up with uh, Aaron Hicks? Is he on the rise again? You know, I haven't talked to his scout about Aaron Hicks recently, but I am heartened just by the numbers that he's hit much better from the right side this year than he ever has in the past. Um got a 461 slugging percentage, isolated That's power about 170, from the right side, which was always that's, yeah, the that's problem for him. So he's having, statistically, he's having a great July. He's red hot right now, having a good season. Um, you yeah, know, I think, again, like I said, I haven't talked to anybody who's bared down on, on Aaron Hicks. I will say his name really does not mention or came up at all in that midseason prospect no, update. And that,
1: and that is the thing that I will say is, is that, yes, you have to be encouraged by what he's doing. At the same time... Still
0: swing and miss. Still a lot of swing and miss. There's a
1: lot of swing and miss, and I'd say that there's still... that At this point, there's a lot of healthy skepticism out there in the scouting circles about Hicks. Not that you don't like some things and all, but at the same time, you're like, okay, I want to see this for a stretch. Right. And I'll put it this way. If the Twins were... you know, We're going to probably transition a little bit into some trade deadline talk and all. Right. If the Twins, twins aren't... The Twins are going to be sellers. If they're, they're not going to be buyers. Right. But if they were buyers, and you said, you know what, Aaron Hicks is available... I think there's a lot of teams out there who'd be like, that's a great number two guy in a deal. Right. We don't want that to be the centerpiece guy.
0: That said, the Twins have some, had some prospects, some first-round picks especially, where they've been patient with them and things have ended up working out. Uh, of course, the guy who Higgs gets compared to a lot by the Twins themselves is Denard Spann, not because he's a African-American center fielder, just because Denard Spann struggled for much of his minor league career. And really came sudden, on late yeah. in the end of his last AAA season and then the start of his next season in AAA, and he's been a productive big leaguer since then, but he really wasn't that guy. There was nothing statistically to indicate that Denard Span was going to be that guy. Um, now, the latest example of that, the crazy example, is how Trevor Plouffe has basically turned into J.J. Hardy. <laughs> he's turned into <laughs> this right-handed hitting infielder who hits with his hands kind of away from his body and has crazy power but doesn't hit for great average. I mean, like... Nobody saw this coming out of Trevor Plouffe. Probably not even Trevor Plouffe. Not even 19 really.
1: Nineteen homers, five thirty-two slugging percentage for. I mean, I'd say that may be more stunning than Justin Ruggiano's uh, seven hundred slugging percentage.
0: It is more. Stu- it is more stunning because at least Ruggiano hit in Triple A. Not, I mean, it's a small sample size with the seven hundred slugging, but he did hit Triple A for like the better part of five years. Trevor Plouffe just never hit for this kind of power. What was his? What's his career high in a season for home runs? 12? 15. 15.
1: Which he so did last year in Rochester. Although I'll point out, that was in, that was the funny thing is that that was 15 in 192 at bats.
0: So there is. So, so, so last year when it clicked
1: for him, but he didn't hit at all on the big league level last year, did he? Two thirty eight, three hundred five, three ninety two. So, I mean, nobody saw. You know, we're looking these up. We, don't, we did not. Yeah. I did not have that on top of my head. I think
0: people understand that. <laughs> we, we want to sound intelligent on the podcast, so we have various. I think we have four mobile devices and a desktop right yeah. here going, all, all looking this stuff up. But, but yeah, I mean. So I wouldn't. I know the Twins are not writing oh, Aaron Hicks off. I don't Hicks think off. again. I, I, I don't I think, think scouts. I don't think scouts are writing him off. I think that I do think people don't think he's a star. Right. I don't think people think the, he's a star in the making. And he is already 22. He's three years older. We shouldn't compare all this to the Bryce Harper line. He's three years older than Harper. He's just reaching his career high in home runs at Double A. He's a couple years older than Trout. This is not going to be a super impact stud guy. But can this guy be an everyday regular? I think Aaron Hicks can still be an everyday regular.
1: That leads into which you brought up, Jerusalem and Profile earlier. Also, the, one of the things that gets interesting this time of year is we have got the trade deadline coming up. With the trade deadline coming up, one of the questions we get asked a lot is, is okay, <laughs> the 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 Rosenthal's and you know MLB Network and all can kind of handle the what teams are buyers, what teams are out right. there looking, you know, and you know these teams are scouting key, these teams are scouting Cole Hamels. We have some, not that we don't have knowledge on that, but really what we focus more on is is okay, so what could be some of the guys out there who would be interesting trade chips? Right, right. And because you hear this right now, a lot of what you end up getting is just like you see, okay, well, like the Pirates are interested in Justin Upton, but they might not be a good fit for the Diamondbacks because the Diamondbacks want a third baseman or a shortstop. Well, and then you say, okay, well, the Phillies are maybe trading Cole Hamels. What would the Phillies be looking to get back? And the thing that jumps out, we've talked about this all year, the team that has... Uh, a A pretty massive amount of trade chips out there if they want to use them, is the rangers oh yeah they you know, they 're they're the team with the chips
0: well um, and they're they're going to be making a move i mean there 's just no doubt that I mean they have a five and a half game lead on the angels, I know there's wild cards and all that kind of stuff, but to me the one of the advantages of the two wild card thing is that it does emphasize the division winner a little bit more. And well, quite right, a, because quite a yeah, decent amount more.
1: There, you get a much more bigger advantage now instead right. of it being that you just face this. Wow, you know, once right. you win that that short series, then you're pretty much on even, an even keel. But they're sitting there resting their starters while you're having to throw your best starters you can to right. get through that.
0: The Angels are not gonna go away. They're <laughs> they're just getting better. I mean, they have my Trout count. and with Trout and Trumbo, you know, doing what they're doing. Uh, to me, the, if you look at the Rangers, I mean, the needs are kind of the same we've talked about for the last couple of years, J.J. Everybody needs pitching, uh, even, even the Rangers, even though, obviously, they've had injuries. Um, you know, who's your number one starter for the Rangers come playoffs? Is it going to be you, Darvish? Is it going to be Matt Harrison, who's having their best year? Is it going to be, you know, Kobe Lewis was decent in coming back the other day. I don't think it's going to be Kobe Lewis. Is it going to uh, be Derek Holland? It what's it's he going to I don't think it's going to be Cole Hamels. It feels like the Phillies are going to re-sign him. They're making every effort to re-sign Cole Hamels, and it doesn't strike me as insincere. I do. I think the Phillies are more likely to trade Hunter Pence, Jimmy Rollins, and you know, some I of their older position players. The, the
1: thing that's tough for the Phillies right now is, is that, okay. for one, they can. there is a natural reason for them to try to say we're not done yet, which is, the window's closing, right? And if you say we're, you know, we're done with 2012, the real question then becomes: Okay, well, if you're done for 2012, probably
0: done for 2013. And are 14? you done
1: for 2013 and 14? And it's a long ways away, or you always have that ability. You always have that chance. It's like, okay, is there? Are there moves we can make to probably, to kind of extend that window? Right. Well. I don't think I don't think you're going to see the Phillies in the playoffs this year. I just don't. I know too far back. I, I, I think there's too many teams between them and right. where they want to be.
0: Right, because they're double-digit games back, and there are four teams ahead of them in the you NL know, East. I think there's still nine games back in the wild card, and it seems like the whole National League, basically, basically
1: outside of the Cubs and Astros and the Padres, are between them and the wild card. So I don't think. To me. You know, if Cole Hamels is not available, then the trade market becomes a whole lot more um, uh, desperate. I guess would be the word for it. it yeah, it
0: seems like Matt Garza and Ryan Dempster, the Cubs, seem you like know, they hold a lot of the keys. J.J. E- even if Cole Hamels is available, the Cubs have you two can only pitchers. only one place. The Cubs have they have two different options for teams. They have Ryan Dempster, who I believe is done at the end of this year with this contract. I'm just on their contract page. Yeah, he signed through 2012. It's a 14 million dollar deal this year, so you're picking up the rest of that. Uh, maybe they maybe they'd sweeten the pot for you and take some of the salary if you give them back a better prospect. I think the Cubs probably would do but that. We know that they'll do that for Alfonso Soriano if you'll take take my Alfonso Soriano, please. Um, and that said, I think Soriano is actually a decent trade chip. If I were an American League club, if I'm like the Rays, I, I, I think John Parada wrote this this week on Baseball Prospectus, so I'm gonna give credit where it's due. If you're the Rays or if you're a team in the American League that needs a DH, you should look at Alfonso Soriano, especially if the reports are true that the Cubs will pay all, but they basically will make him a $3 million player for you. Uh, For a half season, I'd take that chance. And uh, it sounds like, you know, you never hear these reports that Alfonso Soriano is a clubhouse killer. You know, he's not some cancer in the clubhouse. He just just has a
1: terrible contract. He
0: just has a terrible contract, and he's not a good player. He's a good hitter, but he's not a good player. He can't defend. He doesn't run like he used to, you know, he's a, but he's in the batter's box. He's still pretty good. I think he could help a team, again, like the Rays um, or any of those, you know, Or the, if you know, if you were the Orioles, you've already made the Jim Tomey move. But if you hadn't made that move, Alfonso Soriano might have been a better option.
1: So let me ask you this question. Cause I
0: but then, then you, you have Garza to finish on the Cubs, right. who has another year on his contract, and that's that would make Garza, I would think, a lot more expensive. Right. Well, especially of because you, you do are, have to remember the, the, the rules Dempster. change
1: that's happened now is right. that you trade for Ryan Dempster, Ryan Dempster is not getting you a pick at the end of the year, so one of the things that <laughs> that makes it tougher to trade a guy like Dempster though is is that you always have to run through the the in your head if you're the Cubs you have to say okay can we get more now for Dempster right. than the pick that we get for him the compensatory pick but also with that compensatory pick's not as valuable now as it was before because now you're not getting the first round, you know. Right.
0: You know, the, just the example that uh, Jim Council and I kept talking about with the competitive balance lottery, uh, last year the Red Sox lost the 31st overall pick, I mean gained the 31st overall pick from the Phillies. So when the Phillies signed Jonathan Papelbon, they lost pick 31 to Boston, and Boston got a supplemental compensatory pick. Now, into this current system, pick 31 would just go poof. It would just be gone. Bye-bye. So there's just no pick 31 anymore. It goes to somebody else.
1: Right. Um, so the difference is, is that the, there's a big difference between getting a first rounder, which could be pick in the, in the old system, pick 16. Correct. And a supplemental pick. There's a correct. big difference between that and saying, hey, well, we get a supplemental pick.
0: Now oh. the best you're getting is like, and, and not only a supplemental pick. I'm but pretty sure it's a supplemental pick after, after the, the competitive balance
1: lottery. Right. After the first round Although and but after those six competitive but balance again, lottery picks. But again, if with the first round picks going poof,
0: yeah, it could be that thirty five to forty five range. More likely will be the at most. At most, I was
1: going to say, or it could be like thirty two, thirty three, because yeah, if a lot if, of those pick, if, if, if a lot you, of you see first, yeah. five first round picks disappear, then that first compensatory pick could be end up being like pick twenty seven, twenty six, <laughs> you know, something like that.
0: I'm not sure how many other uh, those 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 pitchers. I think the Cubs are one of the teams that hold the keys. The other one, JJ, that's fascinating is. Uh, the Diamondbacks, because talking to a couple of scouts this week over at uh, the DBAP, uh everyone's talking, oh, those guys say it's very consistent. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks are definitely selling Justin Upton, and Kevin Towers is being old school KT. He'll tell you what he thinks of Justin Upton, and it's not much. All the reports you see where he says that oh, Upton's not a winning ball player, That's that's what he's telling everybody. Uh, you know, it's not quite what the Phillies have done with Don Brown, which has run down a player's trade value quite a bit. But the Diamondbacks' marriage with Justin Upton seems over. You kind of wonder if how much of that is KT and how much of that's Kirk Gibson. Well, it seems like a lot of it's well, Kirk Gibson. just doesn't think he's a winning ball player. And, and they've decided George to hitch their ride to uh, – so who's more attractive as a trade uh, acquisition, Justin Upton or Matt Garza or Cole Hamels? H- who would you rather have? That's a I, tough call.
1: That's a tough call. The thing, I mean, the thing we do. would rather point trade out with, for Upton But the thing we have to point out, with Upton is, is that they're trading him at with his value down because he's having a, a pretty poor year. Oh I, yeah. I mean that's the, that's the thing about this is that uh, the team that does seem to make sense is that people want to say that the Pirates can only trade pitching. I, I don't disagree with that because the Pirates do have low-level hitters as well.
0: Yeah, I if I'm that, if uh,
1: I'm the Diamondbacks, I, I know he's my new favorite little personal cheeseball guy. But if I'm the Diamondbacks, I know a lot of people are talking about Alan Hansen. But if I can get one of the, you yes. know, one of the the pitchers from the Pirates, and Oops. I can also get Gregory Polanco. You, now,
0: when you're talking about one of the pitchers, are you talking about Tyone or Cole? Mm-hmm. Okay, I wasn't sure if you were going to throw in like Luis Heredia. If that's enough? For no, you. no.
1: To me, not for me. To me, it's not, not for Justin Upton. Not to me. Again, you have to have. The cornerstone guy of this. I agree. Kohler-Tyone qualifies that. That's the cornerstone guy. You're getting a top-end prospect to, to build this around. Yep. Again, although the funny thing is, is like the Diamondbacks, you know. I we mean, have. the one thing. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. So, hmm, they I got Tyone. Like if they got Tyone, Tyone would rank somewhere between being their third best pitching prospect. I
0: mean, you could, I mean, if you want to say he was better than Skaggs or Bauer, I'd listen to it. But if you want to say who's worse than Skaggs and Bauer, I listen to that. And if you want to say who's worse than Skaggs, Bauer, and Archie
1: Bradley, I listen to that. Right. I'll, I'll put it this way: it would be, it would be an embarrassment of riches for pitching. But I right. do think if they do a trade with the Pirates, unless it's a three-way deal where
0: it'd be pretty unique if they traded up and got Cole back and Cole and Bauer were both in the same organization.
1: That would be pretty <laughs> insane. I'm not but sure
0: that Cole and Bauer want that. But in fact, I think they probably don't.
1: But my other thing though is, is that. And Alan Hansen or Gregory Polanco is a uh, – again, I love Gregory Polanco. We've got a feature you yep. know, about him coming very shortly. But a Gregory Polanco, a guy like that, is a very nice number two guy in a deal like that. I Can't think be so. the number one, but can be the number two. Not for a guy like Justin Upton. No, but they can be the number two. And the thing for me is, is that if you're the Pirates, that – the Pirates, it's worth – you know, we always talk about building for the future and all that. If you're the Pirates, it is worth sacrificing a little future when you are legitimately in it. I, I think and you, legitimately in at this point you can say this is not the same Mirage that we saw last year. They I still do- they still have a lineup that basically is Andrew McCutcheon and, okay, there's crickets after that somewhat.
0: Well, you gotta give, uh, you got to give Alvarez some credit. Yeah. He's, no, Alvarez, taken, yeah. he's taken the, the motivation from your uh, preseason scouts view. And uh, he's been better this year. Right, he I mean, he's has still, been better. But he's, he's still a swing. Obviously, the swing and miss is significant. But, but his power is pretty legitimate. Too. Right, no, his
1: power is legit. But the point I'm making though is, is, that if you're the Pirates and you go out and get it, make a deal for a guy like Justin Upton, that is, that is the. I'll put it this way. That's the most significant move to acquire major league talent, the the biggest vote of confidence in the Pirates' big league club since Barry Bonds left.
0: Yeah, I mean, more likely, yeah. I can't think of anything they've done in the last 20 years and in terms of impact on their big league club. To me, to me... I guess you'd say really since bringing up Andrew McCutcheon. <laughs> right.
1: Know. But to me, I, from the standpoint... but. But bringing up Andrew McCutcheon is different because Pirates fans are used to that. Pirates fans are used to saying, hey, here's our next guy that we hope is going to develop into something. I guess
0: my point is that he's really different. (laughs) He's he's really different. He's he's
1: amazing. But the point I'm making, though, is that if you're a Pirates fan, that'd be the first time that you can remember, that you can maybe remember in your lifetime where the Pirates went, wow, they went out and got a legitimate all star player. Right. To help try to win this year.
0: Yeah, I can't remember who they if they made any moves in 1997 when they finished like four games back of the Astros in the division. I can't. I don't. I don't recall if they made any moves that year. Like the year the Royals, their one ephemeral fluke year in 2003. Like didn't they go out and get Brian Anderson, the soft right. tossing left hander? That was their big deadline move. Um, See, Justin Upton would have a little more cachet than that. Slightly more. Um, and the wh- thing about wh- this
1: is that the Pirates also, hey. They have some,
0: some chips here to trade. Which Would Starling Marte, is he good enough to be the number one guy in a deal like that? I'm not sure. that he's You know not, what? I, I
1: could so see maybe, but the thing to me would be like if you said Marte, Hanson, or Polanco, and Heredia.
0: like you, you want to go on the super young
1: tip. You may say, okay, you know what? We're going to give up the cornerstone pitching prospect guy, which we don't need as much, to be honest, because we got plenty of pitching coming up. And but we also got to get that back. You know that that's maybe how you could make that work. Again, we're just this is just hypothetical. Oh yeah, but, yeah. yeah. But, but, but to I, me, that would, you instead of going for the one top ten, top twenty prospect in the game, what you're saying is is we're spreading our risk. We're taking three guys who are in the top hundred.
0: It's going to be interesting to see if the Pirates can be a team that would be in that same in the mix for Justin Upton. It feels like they are. And you know, if they do that, to me that would be the uh, the crowning achievement of all the spending they've done in the draft the last couple of years, which they were precluded from doing in this year's draft, basically by the fact that of the, of the new system, and then they drafted Mark Marquapel, and that he wouldn't sign for three point eight million dollars. So, uh, pretty intriguing. And obviously, uh, I'm you know, it's been twenty years for them to have a winning season. I would really love for them to finish this off. I've been critical of that organization uh, a lot in recent
1: years because I think. I think they yeah, haven't always, but
0: I think they haven't always spent their money wisely, even in the draft.
1: You know, no, I, uh, I think we've, I think we've talked we, about that. We put a chart out that's kind of spelled a lot of that out. Like, okay, look, there's right. a lot of million dollar guys for them who never did anything. But,
0: but, but I, I will. But their their international signings have been pretty stellar, and uh, Andrew McCutcheon is just so much fun to watch. It's it would be wonderful to see him in the national spotlight like that. Right now, he's a National League MVP with Votto's injury.
1: No, I, I do want to ask you this, though, since uh, coming back to the. Uh, the thing that you know that I keep trying to come back to because I, I I'm so interested as in we talk about this in the office. If you're the Rangers, and again we said there, there may not be a guy. The Rangers may are probably going to make some kind of move, but there may not be a guy good enough to make this to, have, to force you to make this decision. But if you're the Rangers, who do you look at as your shortstop of 2014 and beyond? I guess my question is is that. Are you willing to move Elvis Andrus in the right move? Maybe not even now, but in the offseason or next year. Right.
0: I don't think there's any way you
1: can move Elvis Andrus in 2012. I don't think you can now. Because I think it's you, impossible. Because you're, you're hurting your big league club.
0: I think if you win a World Series in 2012, which is entirely possible, I don't see how you do that either. To me, the most logical thing is actually what I talked about out loud earlier, is that one of those guys goes to center field. Now – they tried that one time already, not necessarily center field, but you saw how rough it was with Michael Young when they tried to move him off of that spot. Uh, it did not go well. Um, and obviously they kept Michael Young, but it was testy. Um, but they smoothed that over. I, to me, if you have the player, I mean, like, it's always with a shortstop. It feels like people who play shortstop, it's just a huge point of pride. I always remember uh, a, lot, a long time ago, uh, John Valentin being like, I am not moving off shortstop for Omar Para. And then he got beat out by Nomar in spring training. was like, okay, I'll play third base. You know, and uh, had some more productive years there. To me, if you have Jerickson Profar, he proves he's big league ready. That has to be a competition for who your better shortstop is, and the other guy moves to center field. Because they don't have an obvious center fielder, even though I know Craig Gentry's doing well right now. He's way behind those two guys. You try to keep those guys in the middle of the diamond as much as you can. And center field's not as important as shortstop, but there's some similar – both those guys have – the skills to play center field, and why move Ian Kinsler? Now, Ian Kinsler would be the guy who would be most obvious to move, but I don't know that Ian Kinsler can, play, th- center can play
1: center field. I don't think he can play center field, especially do it, over, over the course of that entire contract.
0: I mean, frankly, maybe you move Ian Kinsler to first. I don't have an answer at first base long-term either. I mean, Mitch Moreland's a placeholder. He's a solid player. While he's inexpensive, he's fine. But I'd rather have Mike Michael play over there long-term.
1: But Although, I mean, and again,
0: this is are, like a first base. These are, these are good problems to have. These are
1: good problems to have like with Michael, like yes, Michael could fix their first base problem. And in some ways it's painful I, to see that because I think he's Michael Michael is such a I mean, he's a good third baseman. So you really take a big cut in what you're actually getting out of him when right. you take him from third and put him to first. You've got Michael is a great trade chip. I mean, he would be an outstanding trade chip that could really cornerstone a deal. And then you throw in the thing that they also have is is that they've got other guys who, like Lurie Garcia. Lurie Garcia is not a prospect in any way in the same hemisphere. Right. But he's a
0: shortstop who can play shortstop. Right.
1: <laughs> it, you're not going to say Jerickson Profile or Lurie Garcia. That being said, if I'm a team out there and I'm looking to kind of, you know, in a trade, I, I very well may say, hey, by the way, I'd love to get Lurie Garcia in that deal too because he's a double-A, a shortstop who's already at double-A, who – really, for a lot of teams, could come in and be their best shortstop prospect.
0: He's kind of basically like a little bit better offensive version of Freddie Galvis. I mean, he's not quite as elite defensively. I shouldn't say that. He might be more spectacular in some ways than Galvis. He's not as efficient right. as Freddie Galvis. But he's, in that realm, a defense for a shortstop. But he's got we speed. Gal- you we know,
1: Galvis or a Jonathan Villar, who was a kind of a, you know, like I think he's better than that. But, like, when Villar was traded a couple years ago, right, I right. think you get that same kind of mindset of where, you know, where he is.
0: I agree. I mean, I don't know when Lurie Garcia would be ready. Uh, he's always had a little uh, swing and miss issues, and he's he's having them again this year. But he's still hitting you know, close to 700 ops in Double A again. I, and, and again, he can defend. He's he not is, ready for. He's he, again. He's Freddie Galvis type. Yeah, you get him as an extra guy. You get he, him. As he's the third not guy. the
1: cornerstone guy. He's not. But I'll say this: If I was a team and I needed help at shortstop, you know, long term and all, he's the guy. Yeah. If you said he was the third guy in a deal, I'd be right. very interested in him as a third guy.
0: I'm not sure who, uh, but I guess to get back to your question, I think I would try to have Andrews and Profar play together. I would try to have them play shortstop and second base, and maybe you move Kinsler. But if that's not doable, I would move one of them to the, the center field. Where the, they have and an the issue. point,
1: the point that I came to when we were talking about this just in your office was,
0: I would keep Andrews as long let's as Let's say I could. that
1: okay, you decided you know what, we we want Profar as our shortstop. Even if you started quietly floating out, what could we get for Elvis Andrews? I don't know, if you're the Rangers, if there's anything out there good enough to get. Like, <laughs> yeah. I know it sounds crazy, but who is available, potentially, that you'd say, you know what, I'm willing to give up. Let's just say, in a hypothetical for a minute, Jerks and Profile is ready tomorrow to be a solid shortstop. And you said, okay, we're willing to trade Elvis Andrus. I don't think there's anything out there that you can That's get that question. would be worth trading it. Because Elvis Andrus is one of... We were talking about this when we did it. It's like, okay, so what AL shortstops would you rather have over the next five years?
0: Yeah, it's a very short list. of
1: What shortstops in Major League Baseball would you rather have? Tulo?
0: Yeah, you'd rather have Tulowitzki. I mean, like, you know, it's hard to know what's going on in Jose Reyes' head. But maybe you Starling f- Castro. You know, that's debatable. Starling Castro's a better hitter by a lot. But, I mean,
1: but is Alexander's he going to end
0: up being a shortstop? We don't even know. I mean, he's probably not the best defensive shortstop on his own team. I don't know if Darwin Barney hits enough to be a big league regular on a, a championship team. But he certainly fields enough. So, and, I mean, you see Paul Janish, and being an all-glove, no-hit, what that got him. He got him sent to the minor leagues, and now he'll be a nice stand-in for the Braves. But, I mean, honestly, Andrelton Simmons, based off the one-month look, would be in that discussion, J.J., for me. I mean, I want to see it longer, but, I mean, I wasn't a huge but, believer in Andrelton Simmons. But then when you lead the Carolina League in batting, I was pretty high on him at the of this year, and he was better than I had thought he would be when he got to the big leagues. He, he made a
1: significant difference. I, I was talking to Dave O'Brien, the uh, the beat writer for the Braves, for the AJC uh, at the Futures game about Simmons, and he said it was a night and day difference when he showed up because even if he had hit, not hit at all, what he did defensively made a difference for that team because they went from Tyler Pastanicki, who was really shaky defensively, yeah. to this guy who was plus defensively. And then you threw in the fact that he was actually one of the better hitters in their lineup too, which was just crazy. But my point being, I don't think all the guys we talked about out there. The only one to me that you would even consider is, is okay if you give us Cole Hamels, and we got to keep talking because you got to throw some significant other stuff in this deal to make this happen. My point being, this may be almost even like a discussion that's mo- rhetorical. It's rhetorical because because you don't. There's too, He has more value than you can get in a trade.
0: I would say that if you were to trade Elvis Andrews, if he were the lead guy in a deal with the Diamondbacks, and Justin Upton was what you got back, I know Justin Upton's been bad this year, but in terms of who would I rather have, major league wise, I think I'd still rather have Justin Upton than Elvis Andrews.
1: Oh, I, see, I would probably have Andrews, and that maybe I'm overemphasizing shortstop, but you know, but just, right. Just I just
0: think Upton's, up, Upton's upside. I know he hasn't had a great year this year, but he hit 31 home runs last year. As a, what, 23 year old? Yeah. I mean. I think that's hard to find. And right-handed power is hard to find, and he is exactly is everything you want in a right fielder. And if you get the right manager who gets through to him and refines him defensively and gets his effort every day, and maybe that's not possible. I was going to say at face this it, point, B.J. Upton and Justin Upton have both been maddeningly inconsistent, and they've both been teases that's, their entire careers, that's and just, I guess that's why I'm saying is like is that
1: I just worry with. The, the thing I just worry about with Upton is is that I feel like are we going to see this where it's like okay this year you got an MVP candidate next year eh, you know we're waiting for the like you know we're like right. for it all to come together but I
0: don't think that Elvis Andrews is ever going to be a stud he's a very good player no, he's but I don't and, and that saying that he's the one of the best I mean he's in the it's short list of, with faint praise It something. really is. It really is because Cause what is the impact of him offensively? I mean this is this might be I, don't, I know he's only 23, 24 years old. How old is he? He's 23. Um, and I was talking to a scout about it this week. Physically, he's really filled out, Elvis Andrews. There's no more projection no, I mean on the body. Gonna, he's he's filled out. not going to hit for power. I, I, you know, I think that – I bet I you he hits double digits in home runs one year. But what's the maximum there, 12, 15? Right. What? I know like that's the absolute maximum for Elvis Andrews in a year. What's he hit in his career, seven in the big league level? Twelve. Twelve. He's hit twelve in his career.
1: I bet That's you in w- two thousand at bats. No, those were young at bats. I those bet were- you in his
0: year. I bet you in his age twenty seven, twenty eight years, he bangs out ten to fifteen home runs. Because I mean, I do think he's improved as a hitter every year. He hits with a little bit more authority. He's still pretty much a right field inside out hitter. There is going to be a time where this guy's going to have enough at bats, enough strength, and enough confidence to learn to turn on some cripple pitches and hit ten to fifteen home runs a year. That said, I still don't think he'll ever have the offensive impact that Justin Upton can have. Yeah. And the uh, game is still about scoring on an offensive is, impact.
1: He won't have the offensive impact jerk pro far that Jerks and Profar That is, And that's for sure. The, th- that's the funny thing sure. about it is, is that Profar is not filled out. Profar, you see Profar in person, and you go, wow, where's this power coming from? Because he's really a pretty, uh, a relatively wiry guy right It's kind now. of an
0: Andrew McCutcheon type of power in terms of just bat speed and right. whip, right? Right, it
1: is. It is. Because you look at it, and it's not. this is not him just, you know, raw physical strength powering balls out. Mike Olt, he's powering balls out. Of the, you know, right, he's virtually and, ro- roaring as he does it. You know, by the way, that was one of my most enjoyable conversations at the Futures game, was Olt talking about how if the ball was hit to his left, and I mean, he said like a step or two, he knows when he feels it that Jerks and Provar is going to be like, that was my ball. Come on, Mike. <laughs> That's you funny. Know, That's you know, outstanding. It's like, and then I said, you know, so I asked you know, profile about that, he said, We communicate really well. You know, he hears this. And then he pointed out, though, it's like, hey, I got Lurie Garcia over there. And he's like, that was my ball. That's funny. We'll meet behind second base.
0: That's very funny. But that's a a luxury that uh, very few teams have. And, I mean, the Reds had – we talked at the beginning of the year, J.J., about how they had Kozar and Yanish for the big league level in AAA, D.D. Gregorius, Billy Hamilton – um, some lower-level guys that they had, that they, that I know they like. That's one of the reasons why they would trade a Ronald Torres, who I know hasn't had a good year in the Cubs system. But they they felt very good about their up-the-middle depth, especially at shortstop. But doesn't it come close to what the Rangers have? I mean, it just doesn't. No,
1: it just no doesn't. and we're not, we haven't even mentioned Odor. Who, oh, yeah, Rugnet Odor. I right. mean, who's basically having – it's not Jerks and Profar's Valley League season, but it's not a whole lot off as far as offensively. Now, he's, again, second baseman, shortstop, big difference. Right. But but that being said, having a great season himself, and is a very, very solid prospect in his own right.
0: JJ, I'll wrap up the trade stuff. Just, do the Dodgers have any prospects in your mind? I mean, they're clearly gonna be buyers. They've already spent a lot of money. They're gonna keep on spending money. They they want to be a factor. They want to be talked about again. That the pressure for that will only increase if Dwight Howard actually gets traded to the Lakers in the NBA. Well you know, what What's are the Dodgers? I, I
1: don't follow the NBA that closely, but it's everyone can be linked to Dwight Howard.
0: Yeah, but no, no. He wants only a few teams. Um what do the Dodgers have to deal? Uh are they in anywhere near any of these teams we talked about? Like are they in between somewhere, the Pirates and the Rangers, or are they even a little bit below the
1: Pirates? No, they're below I feel the Pirates. like they're below the Pirates. Oh, they're well in terms below of the Pirates. Oh, well below because the Pirates if the Pirates are willing to trade the yeah. Pirates have some massive trade assets. We're actually
0: talking about how they have some good Tier 2, basically, assets. They, I mean,
1: they're, they're, I mean, the Pirates have like two legit Tier 1 assets, right. and Starling Marte is on Close. that on the line of being right. a Tier 1 asset. And because he's a AAA guy, he's probably a center
0: fielder. Not for them, but for a major, other major league teams, he's a center fielder. <laughs> this,
1: this might be a, uh, something we just need to work on. This is our Tier 1 potential trade. Guys our Tier 2 and our Tier 3s. That's not a bad idea. but But, no, they have... Tyone, Cole are Tier 1s. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. Marte is on that cusp of being a Tier 1. Luis Heredia, Alan Hanson, Gregory Polanco are very solid Tier 2s. Right, twos. right. Like, any of those are guys Those are who guys
0: are getting it done in full season ball and have starter, big league regular Heredia's tools. In Heredia, case, short
1: season, but still, you go, okay, youngest player in the New York oh, yeah, Times. No, I was thinking Hansen and yeah. Polanco. Yeah. And I was going to say, on Heredia, though, with the stuff he has and what he's doing in against much older competition... You, those are all guys who your scouts are going to come back and say, oh, yeah, we want that guy.
0: Right. I mean, who, who are the who are the Dodgers? Pro- have they had a pop-up guy in the Dodgers system this year? I don't
1: think the Dodgers have a Tier 1 guy. Uh, I don't think that they have a guy who you point to. Zach Lee would probably be the closest. And, and he's and still think, projection, think,
0: not really I, now stuff.
1: Right. I mean, Ethan Martin's having a bounce-back year, but he's a Tier 2 guy at best.
0: Ethan Martin's bounce-back year, and that's on the front of BaseballAmerica.com right now with a Jim uh, Schoenard story. Yeah. I mean that's one of the bigger developments but, in the Dodgers organization. Yeah, I'll this say year. this.
1: If you've got a scout out there who you know, if you've got scouts and it's like you're asking your pro scouting department, okay, are we interested in Ethan Martin? Yeah, you're maybe interested. But you've got a lot of hesitations there. Right. You know, he he was pretty bad for a pretty good while there. He was. His control is still not that good. There's kind of still questions about his secondary stuff. There's a lot of things where you go, Okay. We wouldn't mind having him, but I'll put it this way. You're not going to build a deal around him.
0: That's it. He's he's a complimentary piece. You're, if the Dodgers are making a deal, they would have to include someone like a Nathan Ivaldi, who's a young big leaguer,
1: or... I mean, I
0: don't even know whether they they young leaguers a young big leaguer they can
1: afford to, what, t- to trade. They are more likely to make the deal for? Your,
0: we're going to take your bad contract, like they right. have in recent what years. Well,
1: what there is is that if Alfonso Soriano fit for them, and I don't think he necessarily does, but if he did... That's the kind of guy where you say, you know what, we don't have to give up a whole lot, and we'll take the contract.
0: That's basically their only real option right now because the, the farm system just isn't that but, great. But
1: the thing about it is, though, is, is that, again, if you look at these trade deals that happen at the trade deadline. And uh, you've done some study of right, this. One of the things that jumps out is, is that, you know what, a lot of those second-tier deals, you don't end up having to give up a lot of great prospects. So you can get complimentary pieces. If you say, hey, we're going to bulk up our bullpen. You can do that a lot of times for guys. You say, okay, that guy could be a reliever long term for them. the spare parts. Right,
0: um, and the, the Dodgers really because they couldn't take on any contracts. I think I misspoke before because they couldn't take on any money in the past. Would compensate with better prospects. So one of the best trade have chips really? that was given up uh, in any of these deadline deals that you've in your research yeah. was Carlos Sant- Santa- Santana. And, and that, that was the,
1: because it's like, oh well, we don't have any money. So okay, well you'll pay for Casey Blake.
0: I mean, it's a, it was kind of unbelievable that the yes, Dodgers. Yes, we'll pay for Casey Blake. The Dodgers had to get the the Indians to pay. I mean, Los Angeles saying, "Hey, big money, Cleveland, pay for this contract." That that was hard to believe. JJ, we had great questions today from our yeah, thank uh, you from for our the right uh, listeners. At JJcoop36, I'm at John Manuel BA. This is the Baseball America. Uh, yeah, at John Manuel BA. I said that right? Okay. Mm-hmm. This is the Baseball America podcast for JJ. I'm John. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody.